Welcome, welcome. This is Marnie Swedberg, and welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends. Today we are talking with the wonderful Dr. Gail Hayes about the subject, Success Secrets of Savvy Volunteer Coordinators. And during this hour, you are going to discover uh, how to successfully recruit and retain volunteers, some examples of how to recognize volunteers, some strategies to help you keep volunteers motivated and encouraged, also how to create a conflict-free environment, how to help volunteers use their gifts, to serve where they can best serve, your strongest ally when working with volunteers, how to embrace your strengths and your calling and step into leadership without excuse, and also how your leadership style can help or hurt you in volunteer management. Our guest today, Gail Hayes, is an international communicator, author, and former volunteer management for the U.S. Army in Europe. She also delights in holding up a mirror and helping women discover their gifts. And her website is Handle Your Business girl.com. Welcome to you, Gail. Thank you, Marnie, for having me as your guest. I am delighted to be here. Well, it is so great to have you here. And I, I, I hope you guys will go over and visit her website and read her full bio because she's an amazing, amazing woman. Among other, <laughs> things, among other things, she's the CEO of Handle Your Business Girl Empowerment Zone. She's written over 30 books. Um, she has pockets that she works with, Locket and Pocket Pockets. I love that. <laughs> and <laughs> you have coordinated volunteers around the world as well as done presentations. And you sing as well. So excited to have you here to just tap into some of what God has put in your brain and in your history that can help others, event coordinators and volunteer coordinators to um, do better at what God's called them to do. So thanks for being here. And I just want to kind of dive right in because we're talking today about some uh, secrets of savvy volunteer coordinators. And you wanted to start with how to successfully recruit and retrain, or, uh, retain rather. So let's talk about that first out. Okay, well, you, you really said that, something that you just said, retrain. Um, one of the things that I, that I have discovered, now, every volunteer manager, I think if you interview 10 volunteer managers, they all tell you 10 different things, but in the end, the, the result is we're all going to Jerusalem. Does that make sense? <laughs> We're all taking the same, we're taking different routes, but at the end of the day, we're all, we all want to recruit um, our volunteers and make sure that they are happy where they serve. The one of the things I said when you were successfully recruiting volunteers, one of the things that I discovered was that, you know, I used to put out um, feelers for volunteers. I'd, I'd have an event, and I'd say, I need volunteers for this, this, and this. Well, I believe that volunteers are like most people. If you I want to have burgers, that you want to serve burgers. If anybody has a taste for burgers, they're going with the burgers. You want pizza, people, people go to a pizza restaurant. So the bottom, time is, the bottom line is not all volunteers volunteer for all things. Most volunteers have a heart, number one, of service. So you've got to always identify the service piece. In other words, what are your interests? You're going to have some people that will volunteer for women's conferences, you, you know, but when they get there, they might be excited about the event. There's always going to be a, a specific place they want to be. Now, I really am concerned when I meet the volunteers that just put me where you want me. I'm a little bit concerned about that because I have sense enough to realize that we usually have a heart piece. Does that make sense? Mm, Yeah. yeah. Everybody has a heart piece. And so, you know, I've had events where I recruited volunteers 
and they get there, just put me wherever you need me, Gail. Well, I put this woman in registration, and she was not good at registration. She really got <laughs> frustrated, couldn't get the, the list, couldn't get the list up. She really needed to be in the on-site child care center. That's really why she got there when she saw on-site child care. But she says, I just want to fulfill your need because of her heart for service. So I was eventually, I watched her on the, on the desk, the registration desk, discovered that she had some, some challenges, replaced her with a woman who was more administrative. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And then I said, walk with me. And I had this volunteer to walk with me around the conference site. And when we got to the, the on-site child care center, she was like, oh, wait a minute. She, was instinct, she instinctively just went in and started coddling the children, helping them with their toys. I said, this is where you should be, honey. You had no business on the registration table. But she wanted to serve. I mean, really, yeah. because what happens right. is they have a, so a heart piece. We have to, I always ask them, what's your heart piece? And a lot of them don't know what you're talking about. I just want to serve. No. What is your heart's piece? I need to know if you could have an ideal place where you could be that would be stress-free and you could flow and it's like breathing, where would that be? We don't often ask volunteers those questions. Because mm-hmm. when people say they want to serve, we put them where we need them, not where they want to be. And the first thing I think in recognizing and recruiting and, and um, retaining volunteers, you must find out as a volunteer manager, what is your volunteer's heart piece? As you were saying that heart piece, I'm going heart piece, P-I-C-E, equals heart piece, P-E-A-C-E. Amen. That is exactly right. The heart piece will get it every time, and you're right. The piece and the piece. That's exactly right. Those those, those homonyms, the heart piece, P-I-E-C-E, does lead to heart P-A-C-E. Correct. I'm loving that. You know, I think I'm going to use that, Marnie. (laughs) You go for it. You go for it. But you know what? Honestly, I think that... I, okay, so somebody like you, Gail, or somebody like me, who's um, been in leadership for a long time, you know, we've studied ourselves. We really know ourselves well. And so when somebody says to me something like, you know, I'd like you to, you know, do this particular job, and I go, uh, wow, um, you know, I could maybe fill in until you can find somebody, but that's not going to be a good position for me long term. Because I right. know instead of recharging me, it's going to drain me. And yes. I need to be. I need to have the energy to do what God's called me to do. So it's not right. a lack of desire to serve. I love how you're phrasing this. So you help us get our head around it. And what you just did, you know, the, how you modeled that behavior to walk her around and let mm-hmm. her see where her lights turned on. You know, just yes, just watch her. You know, and, and, and you know what? And she and she volunteered time after time after time after sure. time again. And I eventually just put her in charge of. Uh, finding out when the women registered, who had children, how, what their ages were. Oh, she flowed in that. And so I've learned to, to look, let people find out where their gifts are because so many right. times we need help. We'll put people in the wrong place, and we can't figure out, okay, we can't figure out why there's gossip. We can't figure out why there's conflict. We can't figure out, well, you know, God, I know I prayed over this. I know I got these right. volunteers. But we tend to just throw them where we need them, not where God wants it or not where they will serve with what we say we talked about joy right right not we we don't allow them to access joy in the volunteering process well and i think i think the other thing that you brought up and it's going to kind of lead us into the next one how to even recognize volunteers but people will say um i just really want to help wherever you most need it and as a leader it's really easy to just believe that and to just you know put your brain on you know autopilot then and go okay well where i really need it is over here um without trusting god is that he's going to provide the right person for over here but that this mm-hmm. person's heart is really important mm-hmm. exactly yeah that is so love true. It, love it. yeah so like when you're uh, advanced when you're looking for volunteers how do you recognize them 
Well, you know what? I ask the volunteers what they want. I, um, I was a volunteer consultant. It was, I was a paid volunteer consultant for the United States Army Europe, the largest American community outside the United States. We had set over 75,000 Americans there. And what I would do is I asked them what they wanted. Oftentimes we don't ask. We just assume they want a certificate. We just assume we want a free meal. We just assume because those are things that work. Let me tell you what. I got some of the most wonderful feedback from women, um, for, from people when they volunteered. There were some people who general, genuinely just wanted to be around this, a certain kind of environment where they could serve in any way. Some people love serving meals. We, we know those people. Some people love taking care of children. We love those people. Some people love doing administrative work. We, you know, we love that. But I always ask. What is it that you want to get out of your volunteer experience? And most volunteers are taken aback because we don't usually ask mm. them. And, mm. you know, they, and then if we're in church, they can get real. This is what I call religious. I just want to serve the Lord. Now, wait a minute. The Lord wants you to serve where you best can serve. God created you, so he knows what's inside of you. And it's okay for you, like you said, to say, that's not going to work for me. So what I do in recognizing volunteers, I said, you tell me what it is that you want, and you'd be amazed. I had one woman that said, you know, I hardly ever get out of the home, out of my house. She said, I come out to volunteer, and I go back home, and I'm working. So you know what I did? So what we did, when I, I heard what she wasn't saying, and what we did is we gave her a night, uh, a night out with her husband, and somebody took care of her children. Hmm. She cried. She could not believe it, but I heard what she didn't say. So so many times it's not to say, do you see what I mean? She was like, you know, I'm really tired, blah, blah, blah. And she always had to drag her children everywhere she went. She was tired. So I could see that. So I said, look, ladies, we got this woman here who is really faithful. She wants to volunteer. Who can can babysit her children for like three hours so she and her husband can go on a date? And then what we did was we got a dinner certificate for two to a really nice restaurant, and and I presented it to her. And so I go through – look, I take this time and go through individual volunteers, and I have a basket of things where I've heard – listen to cues that people have said, and those cues activate um, where I'm going to look to recognize them. I was like, everybody's getting a certificate. Okay, After after the certificate, then what? Now what? Your, your event is over. You can breathe and you can say, okay, I've done well. You've done well. But how do your volunteers feel? I want volunteers to run me down trying to get in my events, trying to get with me. <laughs> so, and you know what? When I do things, I get bombarded with women. Okay, look, cause you know what? I see women that may, look, may, may like a manicure. I go and get them a manicure certificate, gift certificate. I had one, for, uh, one lady very recently who looked, it looked like her walking was slowing down, and I was like, oh, my God. I just happened to have, somebody gave me a $50 spa card gift. I went by her house and I said, hey, can you come with me somewhere? I took her and got her a free massage. She cried the entire time. Yeah. So yeah. this is the kind of thing that as volunteer managers, we have to re- learn to hear what volunteers may not be saying, not what we think they want. So the best way to recognize a volunteer is to be astute enough to hear what people are, are not saying. Certainly you can give everybody a certificate and give them the hand clap. You know, we do that. Certainly you can give them a dinner, that's it. But what are you going to do beyond that? And you'd be, you'd be amazed if you just do a survey. As a volunteer, what's the way you like being recognized? And, you know, right. of course, you're going, to get the, you're going to get the answers. Oh, I just want to serve the Lord. Okay, well, Lord, look. Lord knows he puts you in a physical body. He knows your flesh. 
He's not mind doing anything to reward you in your flesh. He understands that we're flesh. He knows he did create it. He doesn't mind you getting a manicure, pedicure, getting your hair done. He doesn't mind you going out to dinner. Let's get real. God wants us to get real, and that's when you get real volunteers. And honestly, you know, when you said that, the thing that surfaced to me right away is most volunteers do not want to be on the stage. That is not what they would no. prefer. They want no. to be behind the scenes, which is why they volunteer <laughs> to be Absolutely. in those positions. So hauling them up on stage and having everybody clap for them is oh, no. not not really their idea of a good recognition. That's no. really more, uh, you know, they just want to get down and get done. So. Yeah, because most yeah. of us in volunteer management, a lot of us, we want to call them up, and they're uncomfortable. They're like, they this is not why I did and we, But we think that's good because a lot of us who are running things, we don't mind doing that. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, what you were saying earlier is just, you know, ear to the ground and just keep your eyes open and what is it that they're not saying or what is it that they are saying. And exactly. uh, to just go that way. I, I love it, love it, love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about motivating and encouraging the volunteers because it is easy to lose volunteers. It really is. And and you've already, I really feel like you've already given us the core of of getting volunteers and keeping volunteers is to actually love them as a person, not yes. to use them as an, a vehicle to getting what you want. Right. Well, and yes, because so many times we're so, we see the big picture that we forget the details. And even if we're detailed people, the details start to get on our nerves as, as we're painting the big picture sometimes. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And so even though we might be a person that likes the details, we usually are detail-oriented, when we start doing the big picture and putting things together where we need volunteers, after a while it kind of, I hate to say, I'm going to just use the phrase, it gets on our nerves. <laughs> we're like, oh, this is getting on my nerves. I can't stand it. And we, we don't let patience have her perfect work in us, and we can say and do some things that we have to go back and apologize for. And this usually happens when you don't have the right people in the right place. That's usually when that happens. So let me give you an example. I um, traveled for years speaking, and I had an assistant who would travel with me, and this girl was really not suitable to be an assistant to a speaker, if that makes any sense. Mm, it does. Yeah. But she – she was not suitable, and I knew that, but at the time, she was the one that came forward, and I remember we went someplace, and we had a suite, and it was extremely hot outside, and I had just come from speaking, and, and, and I was speaking, and it was a lot of warfare. There were women gossiping, and oh, I mean, it was just, woo, it was, it was not a good place. So I really needed to be someplace by myself to pray because I had just come out of this session that was very intense, where I had been personally attacked in public. It was just not good. And so I needed um, an assistant or a volunteer to work with me who understood that, who had that sensitivity, if you will. We had a suite with two bedrooms in the living area. Well, one of the intercessors from the conference saw and recognized what happened, and she asked me could she come to my suite, and she wanted to minister to me, right? Well, I was hot. It was like 105 degrees outside. And I remember very vividly coming in, turning the air conditioner up because it was so hot in there. And my assistant had her own personal bedroom in which she could close the door. But she decided to come out while this woman was ministering to me and say, let's agree to put the air conditioner on this uh, degree, shall we? And, you know, I was really already uncomfortable. And I looked at her and I said, I didn't even ask God what I should say. I said, let's agree that this is my room, 
and it'll be where I want it to be, shall we? And I thought, I can't believe she said, and the intercessor was appalled at her. So I said, you know, you can go into your bedroom and basically get out of my face. That's how I felt at the time. I was so angry because I had just come out of really intense spiritual warfare where people were, it was just, it, it right. turned out well, but... I need to be recharged. And so she didn't get that. So the next day we had a talk, and she says, well, if I'm taking care of you, who's going to take care of me? See, she was in the wrong place. Right, right. right. And so so many times, you know, we're talking about motivating and encouraging. Let me tell you what I did. I encouraged her, and I loved her enough to say, you know, this is not working for you or for me. Here's what I suggest we do. And we did, we did some constructive things. We helped, I helped to find her another place in another ministry. And we are, and I can look at her today and smile, and she could look at me today and smile, because we went through and did we critique, we critique, we critique the trip, and I had several others coming up to which she was going to go with me, and I gave her. I had to come up in my game. I had to give her some rules <laughs> of, of some things that I wanted to see or what I needed, and she adhered to those. But she really was an event planner. She really was not an assistant. Right. Do you see what I mean? And so you're talking about motivating. She was so motivated that, number one, I motivated her to find another position, and I worked with her, and I encouraged her and helped her to identify her gifts. And I said, honey, I need somebody that does this, this, and this. Does this look like you? And she laughed. No. Yeah, she was right. just determined that's what she was going to be to me, and I, was knew, I knew she wasn't right, and I said, well, this is my call. I take the hit for this because I allowed her to do it. And, but, she, at least, but if I hadn't stopped her and this hadn't happened, she would have gone to another person and tried to do that. And she said, now I see what I'm not. Now I need to find out what I am. I said, let me help you. Those are, that's my specialty. <laughs> and so we, when we parted, it was a sweet parting. And if I see her today, it's love because I was, I was able to say, look, baby, this is not working for you or me. Let's, let's tell you why. This is what I need. This is who you are. And I was able to help her. I gave her a gift of identity because I teach identity, purpose, destiny. I do this three-pronged um, process that God gave me when I'm working with people and help people find out who they are, then help them find their purpose, and then, then they can step into destiny. And I was able to do that for her. So when volunteers work with me, I keep the IPD principle in front of me, um, and that's how I keep them motivated and encouraged. Um, motivated, you can be motivated to brush your teeth so they won't rot, but I believe in inspiring people. Inspiring someone is lighting an inner fire in them that doesn't go out even after they leave your presence. And that's what I, I long to do, and that's what I did for her, and that's what I do for most of the volunteers that work with me. I hope that may, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it really does. And I was thinking um, in a meeting with Wes Steph, who's a, um, who was the CEO of, of Compassion International, who mm-hmm. I felt like at the time he was like the father and the leader to hundreds of thousands of adults and children around the world. And mm-hmm. that was the one thing that he said was he said that you have to get the right person in the right position. And as a leader, mm-hmm. that is your job. And Absolutely. if we... If we fail to do that, right, they, we, we can encourage and motivate them to do something that they're not built or created to do, but that's only going to go so far, they will run out of gas. What they need is the spiritual fire of the Holy Spirit helping them instead of just us helping them. And so to put them in a position that God created them to do is so critically important. And, you know, I, I think before we go on to the conflict-free environment, let's just talk about, like, do you actually – ever like see someone and walk up to them and say, you would be great at just by watching them, just by observing them? 
Absolutely. I've done it many times, and, they, and I, I will tell you this. When I've done it, there are usually tears. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, you know why? Because let me tell you what. Everybody wants to be seen. I mean, they, in other words, it's like um, I have this friend who's a baby of her family. It's like eight, eight children. And I remember she and I are really good friends. I'm the firstborn of seven. So when we get together, I listen to her, let her talk. And she, I said, you know what? You, your voice needs to be heard. It, and that's basically what it is. Everybody has a voice, and everybody wants to be heard on some level. Some people will tell you, no, that's not true. That is so far from the truth. We serve a speaking God. He first, he first spoke his word. Then he told Moses and the boys to write it down. So we serve a speaking God. <laughs> And I, 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 I mean, so, you know, my thing is every volunteer is there and they have a voice. I yeah. want to hear their voices and I want to make sure they're singing in the right place. They're, they're soprano, alto, tenor, or bass. I want to make sure that the chorus is in harmony and that we don't have anybody singing in the wrong, wrong vocal part because you're going to strain your voice, you're going to be unhappy, the music's not going to sound good, and we need to sing together for harmony. So mm-hmm. you're right. I've gone up to many people or I've gone to leaders and say, you know that woman, you know her, what her gifts appear to be? What do you mean? I said, well, I noticed that she's struggling a little bit in this area, and there should be a complete flow because that's going to impact the bottom line in your ministry or in your organization if you have somebody that's in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Do you understand what I mean? Well, we need somebody. I said, you know what? I know you need somebody there. I said, but what would it take for those other two to close ranks and to cover that until you get a person that's more well-suited? Because if you pull that person and put them where they're supposed to be, by the time it reaches their department, it's going to look different because she's in the right place. I said, why don't you just try it for two weeks and see what happens? It was like miraculous things because I also go into corporate and I also go into outside the walls of the church and help people um, with paid staff, um, putting people where they belong. And it is, they come back to me and said, how did you know? Well, I can see. I'm, I'm, it's, it's easy for me to come in and look at your organization. When you're in it, it's kind of difficult to see what someone else may see. But you're correct. I do. I do that quite frequently. I will say, well, wait a minute. You're having this conflict because this person's not there, and she doesn't fit in the square hole, square peg. She square hole. She's around. She's a peg. You need to put her over here. Well, I said, well, you know what? Try it. See what happens. And I will tell you, almost each and every time that I made that recommendation the volunteer or the paid staff go, oh, my God, thank you. They're relieved because most people do not want to tell you, especially a leader, if they're not happy. They really don't. They'll talk to their coworkers, and they'll spread little bits, little seeds of discord. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they'll spread those things, or they'll do something that's just not helping the harmony, if you will. And most of the things that we have, I've noticed in organizations where there is disharmony is because people are not in the right place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as you were talking, I was thinking you were using the harmony analogy, you know, soprano, mm-hmm. alto, tenor, bass, the parts. Yeah. And there was a Sunday in church years ago, and my husband and I were standing next to each other. And it just so happened that the people exactly behind us were a strong soprano and a strong tenor. And my husband is a bass, and I'm an alto. And so as we were singing, I was just marveling in the beauty of just us four <laughs> singing in the oh my. service, and it, it hardly ever happens like that. And so right. as, I, as I was just, you know, reveling in this myself, God just prompted something in my spirit, and he said, this is who I've created you and Dave to be. You have this front out there position, but what you really are is you really are the support 
for the sopranos and tenors of the world. And while it looks like you're in the front, you're really not. You're really supporting these other people. So like when I think of my role here, Gail, I'm supporting you. When I think of my role as womenspeakers.com director, I'm supporting thousands of speakers and you know tens of thousands of event planners. When I think of going to speak in front of a group, yeah, I'm in front of the room, but I'm really supporting all those women who are going to go out and change their world. And yeah. just comprehending my role in the body of Christ was so powerful to me and as a leader, that's one of the things that we get to do is we get to help people comprehend the extreme value of being uniquely them, of not trying to be somebody else, like you say, not just trying to serve for the sake of serving, but to actually figure out what it is that God's called them to do. I love how you're approaching this. It's just such a beautiful and refreshing approach. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's my honor. I want to see people uh, live and work in harmony and be best used by the most high. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you talk about conflict-free environment here for a little bit longer, but I wanted to just start it with um, one of the things that I found to be extremely helpful. So we have a restaurant, and we have a retail store, and um, then I have the online stuff that I do in writing and speaking. But in our restaurant and retail store, we have a lot of staff, and what I've found is that typically what will happen is someone will see something or hear something, and it will generate uh, drama. It will generate a um, little chatter going on and maybe against somebody or whatever, confusion what to do, whatever like that. And I've just trained mm-hmm. my staff um, two things. First of all, right away, let me know. And the other thing is don't say to each other anything you wouldn't say in front of the other person, and that's my standard. If the other mm-hmm. person were in the room, would you still say this? And if uh-huh. not, then don't say it. And what I found is that as I followed through quickly with these kind of um, concerns, usually what happens is the person who's being talked about or worried about has a really good reason. Um, uh, nine times out of ten, there was something that happened that triggered that kind of a response in that person that led to the misunderstanding by the other people observing the behavior. And mm-hmm. so I, I, that's my number one thing with my team is, first of all, don't be gossiping instead. Just Speak and love the truth, and if they, you know, if it's gossip, then you wouldn't say it in front of them, and so don't say it at all. And then the other thing is to just go directly to the person as quickly as possible and get the real story. And then, you know, when there is a problem, then you can deal with it directly before it gets all blown out of proportion. Okay, I think that's great. Yes. What, and how, how, how is that working? How did that work? Is it working well? Oh, my goodness, yeah. So we've had, we've had the restaurant for 14 years and the retail store for almost 11 and we really have a pretty drama-free environment both places. It's, it's amazing. When you, when you handle issues before they blow up into big fires, you know, it's just a little, it's like a match. You just blow it out and it's done. Instead of letting it become this raging forest fire of emotion among your team, that then is really kind of tough to put out. Yes. Yes, and you are, you are so correct. And you know what? I love the fact that, that it is a direct um, it's direct. There are no, there's no ambiguous. There's no gray area. Here, here's how we're going to play the game, or here's how we're going to operate. And there's no if, ands, or buts. This is how it's going to be done. And you know what? Everybody's held to the same standard, and everybody follows those rules. And when everybody does that, eventually, everybody. Um, you know what happens? What I've, what I've discovered 
the most in working with people, one of the wonderful things about working with people is that if you can finally get them to adhere to something, then they will police their own behavior. So true. And you don't have to do it if you empower them. I'll give you an example. I work with a lot with children, and I use the same thing with adults. And I have this this um, principle I use. I go in and teach educators how to manage their classrooms. And I just came up with this because I had my first child at at 41, my second child at 43 after I was told I couldn't have children. So I ended up having to go into the schools. And one year my daughter got a first-year teacher, and she said, Mom, every time there's a conflict in the class or the children start fighting, the kids start fighting, my teacher runs and goes in her office and closes the door. So she had a classroom and had an office. And it, my daughter was like, I don't like that. She leaves us. Uh-huh. Well, I decided I was going to go and talk to the principal, but I decided, well, let me go and talk to the teacher instead. I went in and talked to the teacher. I said, how can I help you in your classroom? And she started crying because I said, I want to serve you. How can I serve you? You are educating my child, and I want to help you. This is what the teacher said. She started crying. She said, you're the first parent that's come in here to me that doesn't want to run my classroom. And then basically she said to me, well, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm an author and a speaker. She said, well, can you help prepare my children for the integrated writing test? I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just wanted to help correct paper. She said, didn't you ask me what I wanted? I said, I ended up going into her classroom, and when I came in, they were literally throwing things. I was appalled because I'm old school, and, of course, I'm old enough to be our children's grandparents. So things looked a lot different two generations ago than they do now. And I ended up changing the identity. I told the children that they were powerful, awesome, intelligent communicators. And what does that look like? And whenever I wanted the class to come to order, I gave the young men an acronym to follow and the young women an acronym to follow. I believe if you change the identity, you change the behavior. You change the behavior, you change the focus. You change the focus, you change the destiny. That's even with volunteers. I focus on identity. And I said, you are mighty awesome and powerful, and that looks a certain way, young men. You are precious, pretty and powerful, and that looks a certain way, young women. So I stand up in front of the class, and when they were out of order, I say, triple P, MAP. Map for the boys, triple P for the girls. And you know what happened? I gave them that identity, told them what it meant. And so when I would stand in front of the class, I would just stand there and wait. And one of the girls would say, triple P. And all the girls would say, triple P. And one of the young men would say, (laughs) map. And what they were saying is, I am precious, pretty, and powerful. I am mighty, awesome, and powerful. Therefore, I have self-control. I will now be silent and honor who's speaking. And then they'd all get silent, and they policed their own behavior. And I believe that when you did what you did, when you set a standard and you let your employees know how important they are to the process and to the mission, it changes them when they understand who they are and how powerful they are. And then you gave them the parameters, and they stopped the gossip because you gave them the power to do that. Does that make sense? It really does, and it makes (laughs) an environment that's inviting to people because they experience love and grace instead of um, backbiting and, you know, backstabbing. And condemnation. And, and condemnation. <laughs> I always say, I always say, Gail, I, I can't live without grace. I can't function without grace. And mm-hmm. so when we, when we create an atmosphere of grace, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes, you know, my staff, and I'll use my staff right now. I'm not working with a volunteer team at the moment, and, but I'll mm-hmm. use my staff. And um, with my staff, you know, if they come to me and they complain to me about some, a personality weakness that someone has or a character weakness that someone has, mm-hmm. I'll say, yep, okay, um, I can follow through on that. But just remember that each one of us on the team has strengths and weaknesses. And we, we need each other's weaknesses 
and we cover with grace each other's, or we need each other's strengths. We cover with grace each other's weaknesses, and that includes you. <laughs> you know, and, and, and they recognize that, right, people are helping them in the areas that they aren't super strong and that they can extend that same grace to others. And, and honestly, um, you know, when you have a team that is gracious to each other, we had a situation back a while where one of our staff had a terrible, um, really traumatic situation. And after appearing in court and um, the finally, you know, finally getting kind of toward the end of it, instead of going to her home, right after court she drove over to the business walked in the door, stood in the middle of the back room, and just started to sob. And we just all came around her and just hugged her, makes me cry when I'm thinking of it. And she said, she said, I had to come here before I go home because here is safe. You know, that's really really the kind of team I want to be on. That's the kind of team everybody wants to be on. And sometimes you don't have that team at home. And you can have no. it in a volunteer group. You can have it in a work situation. And that's, that's our job as leaders is to create that kind of environment. Well, I think it's wonderful, more than wonderful, that you've been able to, that God has allowed you and your team to create that type of environment because the four basic human needs are the need to feel important, appreciated, welcome, and safe. Those are the four basic human needs. And when you meet those four basic human needs, even in volunteers, because I believe this is what I say, instead of using the term volunteers, oftentimes I use paid and unpaid staff. Right. Right. And so they're professional. You treat them just the way you would treat your your paid staff. You give them a job description, and they agree to that. You hold them to standards, and they agree to that. And also, you hold the standards and do not devalue them because you're not paying them. You should devalue them just as much as, and hold them the same standard as you hold your paid staff. I will tell you that, and then when they, when they leave, you give them, an, and you actually give them evaluations. You give them a written evaluation. Do you know that there's so many, so many people who come and volunteer because they don't have any work experience? And we know that the, other, the reverse is true as well. And what they can do is use that evaluation and that job description to help them get paid, a paid position someplace. I used to help volunteers, you know, um, document their unpaid experience to get a paid position someplace. So we owe it to as good managers and as good um, as, as, as good stewards um, to do that, to make sure that our volunteers are valued, that they are valued just as much as we value our paid staff and held to a standard, just like we hold our, our, our um, paid staff to a standard. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and, and it is, it goes back again to putting the person in the right job that they can, you know, I always tell when, uh, in fact, I just hired a gal uh, this week and I said, instead of bringing you on as a permanent employee, I'm going to bring you on for six weeks probation. And she said, why? Why won't you just hire me? And I said, well, there are people that come in here that I'm 100% sure are going to fit. So for her position, you know, you've already been a barista. You've already worked in a craft store. You've already handled pets in a pet store. You already run a till. I said, but, but you don't have those, that background. But I think you can learn it all. I really do. I think you have everything it's going to take to succeed here. So let's just try this on for size. And then she was okay with it. She said, oh, well, that makes sense. But I think with our volunteers, I like how you said to that team that you were talking about earlier in our our conversation here, you said, why don't you just try that for two weeks and see what happens? You know, it doesn't take very long at all for us to clearly identify whether something's going to work or whether it's not. But when there's any, you know, hesitance or whatever, doing that is a really nice, gentle way instead of, 
you know, like for me, I said, you know, if it, if this doesn't work out, I don't want to, I don't have to fire you, and I don't want you to have to quit after a couple weeks and feel bad about it. Let's just try it on and see. You know, so I, I feel like it's a safe, a safe way to put your toe in the water a little bit and to see. Sure. You know, do you have any, do you have any final thoughts then about how to help volunteers use their gifts um, to serve where they can best serve? Was there anything else you wanted to add on that, and then we move along to allies? Well, I think that, you know, volunteers, it's not just up to the volunteer manager to identify the gifts. The volunteer has to tell you. Ask them, do you know your gifts? Let me give you, I want to give you an example of what happened to me. Very, I mean, this is very recently. Girl, it changed my life. I have this woman who is a, one of these, you know, she's a life coach, and I'm a life coach as well, but, you know, I just thought I had my stuff together. I just thought for sure I knew my gifts, right? So I was talking to her very briefly about, you know, there's some things that I still want to see happen. I believe God's told me to do certain things, that they haven't manifested yet. And then she says to me, Gail, um, do you know your gifts? I said, of course I know my gifts. Um, writing, speaking, singing. She says, no, Gail, those are your talents. You may, and look, she may let me put my foot in my mouth, okay? <laughs> and I said, huh? She said, your talents are how you monetize your gifts. And I, I was taken aback. All these years I've been operating the wrong way. She said, let me tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go to the Lord, and I want you to ask him to identify your gifts. Well, you know, let me tell you, and I'm talking about very recently in the last two months, last three months, okay? My life has changed dramatically because of this. I went to God and I said, God, would you please show me my gifts? I said, I've been told these things I've been operating with are my, are, um, are, are my talents. And I just, it's almost like I heard an audible voice. He said, that is correct, but you have never asked me what your gifts were. You just assumed. I said, ooh, okay. So I said, well, Father, show me my gifts. This is what he said. I'm going to show you one gift, Gail that all the, other, all the other gifts you have emanate mm. from this one gift. Mm. And I thought, okay, and I waited. And this is what the father said to me. He said, if you know, when you're looking at languages, you know, somebody's fluent in Italian, German, English, you know, you speak, well, I'm speaking from the United States point of view now. We speak English as our principal language, but we have people who are multilingual, and they speak, you know, German, French, Spanish. He said, those people are fluent in those other languages. He says, Gail, you, ha- you are fluent in people. He said, you fluently see into people, so therefore your main gift is the gift of influence. Mm. And I thought, what? He said, this is why you can go into almost any situation and identify the problem immediately, what's going on with people, because you fluently see into people, and it makes people uncomfortable because you can see. Yeah. But your gift is a gift of influence. And you go in and you can tell when who's wrong, who's right, what the conflict is. And he said, you are a bridge between the generations, the genders, and the races. He said, you have to remember, Gail, as a woman of influence, that if you're a bridge, you get walked on. <laughs> and he said, but you also have to remember that you can become a toll bridge and get paid. I said, glory <laughs> to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Okay. So Love God it. showed me this. And I want you to know, Marnie, in the last month mm. or so, was well, last Two months, my life has changed dramatically because instead of leading with my talents, I'm in leading with my gifts. Mm, and beautiful. what happens is a shift happened. All these things are showing up, including this interview with you. Mm. <laughs> I found your site while I was operating in my gifts. Mm. That is the kind of thing. I've been looking for things, places to go where I fit. And, I mean, yeah. and part of that journey is this interview with you, that you yeah. would choose me out of all these thousands of women to interview me. And yeah. I, when I saw that, I said I marveled 
at God. He says, you see what happens when you lead with your gift? Because your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men and women. It will bring you before kings and queens. This is what God said to me. And he said, you're getting ready to get interviewed by a queen. Handle it. (laughs) Now, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And so I said, how did she find me out of all these people? (laughs) Literally. So I have things like this showing up in my life all of a sudden because I no longer lead with my talents. I lead with my gifts. Does that make sense? Oh, and it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's so freeing, actually. It's really freeing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So that's the only thing I want to say. When you're motivating, um, I always ask people now, what are your gifts? I said, no, 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 go back to the Father and ask him to reveal your gifts to you. And, be, and then I said, oh, God, I'm a translator. I can translate for people. And so I've helped many women get married, and I translate the language of men for women. And I've been doing this translation. And the, the woman, I went back to her, I said, thank you so much for, for um, asking me, having me to ask God that. I said, now God has shown me I'm a bridge, I'm a translator. She says, Gail. I'm going to give you another course correction. You are not a translator. Yeah, you are. She said, let me tell you what you are. You are an, you are an interpreter. I said, she said, a translator translates word for word, but an interpreter tells you the meaning behind the word. Mm-hmm. You right. have the gift. You have the gift of influence. And you, that's why people, when there's conflict, you can come in and say, wait a minute, this is what I'm hearing. You're telling the person. You're translating. Right. And you're also interpreting, letting them know what the person really meant. Therefore, you erase conflict. That's why the enemy has fought you so long because you have an, you're a big eraser for conflict. You're, you're like, you're like um, you have a neosporin anointing. You get rid of the infection. <laughs> but, you, but you see what I mean? So it's good when we have, we're dealing with volunteers or with staff that we, um, we ask them to, to, to identify, we help them to identify their gifts, not so much their talents. There's a vast difference in your gifts and your talents. And no matter who you're working with, paid or unpaid staff, they need to know that. So great. Well, it's, oh, my goodness, it's such good stuff, and we're not done yet. So let's keep going. Let's talk about <laughs> okay. Let's talk about you. You have, you have a phrase that you use, your strongest ally. When working with volunteers, there's a strongest ally. Um, talk to us about that. Well, actually, I've, I've already said it. <laughs> It's, it's the, gift, the difference between gifts and talents. The strongest okay. ally is letting your, for me, when I was working with volunteers, letting them know that I don't know everything. Number one, I'm imperfect. Right. And so, so many times when people come around me and they see all the things I've done, all the things I say, I say, hold up. I am very imperfect. I said, so sometimes we have these blind, blind spots. So I'm going to rely on you to help me with the blind spots that, may, that you may encounter with me. I give them permission to come to me, mm-hmm. and that, for me, um, has worked well. Now, of course, if I'm u- using a, a, a vast volunteer, um, you know, staff, I have a lot of, a lot of people, um, we have, I, do, I, I take that, that example of Moses when Jethro told him to sit men over 10, 20, you know, those groups like that, but it doesn't mean that they can't come directly to me, and I make sure that I keep the leaders that work under me um, accountable and in check saying, listen, your job is to make sure that these people thrive in these positions. Can I rely on you? And so I feed into those leaders. The biggest ally is being, able, is being willing, number one, to me, is to, 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 make, to help make people find their identity, and number two, trust them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard part for a lot of leaders that can't release. Yeah. And this is what I believe as a leader that we're supposed to do, train, equip, release, train, equip, release. 
For me, that is one of the biggest allies that I have found works for me. When I train somebody and I equip them, I have to release them. And I don't come and try to do it for them. I let them fail if they fail, and they come back to me and say, okay, this didn't work for me. Why didn't it work? Go back. I'm not coming over there. You have the – because I've trained you, you know it, and I've given you equipment. You've got it, so handle it. And sometimes I have to close my eyes and walk away and say, oh, God, help me, because it, it would just be – it's just a little thing, a little course correction that I could have done, not to, to, to um, take up a lot of my, more of my time, but it's even like when I'm dealing with my children, train, equip, release. That, to me, probably is one of the biggest allies, to me, strongest allies. You train them. You equip them and you release them, and you've got to trust them. That's what it is, train, equip, release, a three-prong purpose, a three-prong um, process. Does that make sense? It does, and I find that for me um, when, I'm, when they're struggling, when they hit release and they're, they're really not. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah. uh, kicking the bird out of the nest too soon. And what happens yes. is, that, is that the training really wasn't, you know, and everybody learns so differently. I mean, some people, like I see this in, in training uh, new stuff, some people pick it up like just like they were born for it. Other people, it's a lot longer, a lot slower. They have to use flashcards. And, I mean, it's really a different process for everybody. Wait, wait, did, you say, did you say flashcards? Flash. Like, you know, like a yeah, flash, you know, No, I mean, you know, what you said was something very pivotal. People don't, like you said, there are people who learn auditorily. If you tell them, right. people need to see right. it. Then there are kinesthetic learners who have to have the flashcards. Right. right, They have to learn by doing. So you have to decide, you have to see who they are, and you're correct Again. about that. Not everybody, right. if you're, an, if you're um, a visual learner, you're going to teach visually. And you're going to leave the auditory learners and the kinesthetic <laughs> learners out in left field somewhere. Right. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, you know, I agree with what you're saying. Train, equip, release. But if you find that as you're releasing, people are failing at that point, yeah. then you have to go back and you have to say failure equals feedback. And you have to say, okay, so what am I doing that I could change to help them succeed? Because I always tell my staff this my job really is to help you succeed. That's my job as a leader is to help mm -hmm. you succeed. I need to, I love train, equip, release. That's what I'm going to do. And when I come in, I want to be your cheerleader. I want to walk in the door of this business and say, you rock. You nailed this. This looks awesome. You're doing great with that customer. Whatever it is, that's, that's who I want to be. That's the job that I've defined for myself is train, equip, release, and then be a cheerleader. And I love that. I just love that so much. Let's talk a little bit about oh, Wait, I need, I need, oh, please okay. let me ask. you got to follow up. Please, I, go I got No, I got, no, <laughs> something came to me when you were talking. Here's yes. something that I, I've also helped other managers do. If they are a, um, a visual learner, they need someone on their training team who's an auditory learner and a kinesthetic learner. Yeah. I mean, so they can actually cover all three learning styles for that employee. Does that make sense? It does. It is so. so that, that I wanted yeah. to add that I wanted to, you yeah. have someone on your training team who does not have your same learning style, and you and they that way the employee or the volunteer gets all three, and that means you've hit it all, and you have to see which one works. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I know I can tell that you and I could just talk forever. <laughs> so yeah. all right. So let's go. Let's go to 
about how to embrace your own strength and your calling as a leader and how to step into that leadership without excuse. And, and I, think, I think that's a huge one for leaders. Um, in fact, I, I have, we had a conversation just this week. Um, one, of my, one of my leaders um, in one of the businesses doesn't want to do one of the things that she needs to do because she makes, it makes her feel like a bad guy. And um, yeah. as a leader, sometimes you do. You, like, tiptoe around and you just don't want to, you know, you don't want to say anything to anybody or whatever. So how, how is it that you encourage leaders to really, you know, step up, <laughs> put your armor on, and go do what God's called you to do? Well, one of the things I've discovered, and this is just me, discovered with work, especially with women, women have sometimes have a difficult time accepting that they are leaders. Um, they'd rather say, well, I'm just here to assist, I'm here to guide, or I'm here to mentor. But all of those things are leading. And, I, you know, what I always say, this is one of my, my, um, my quotes, I say, every woman is called to lead somebody somewhere to do something great. Okay. And no, who more influences a husband than a wife or the children than a mother? We are, we are the influencers. We are able to kind of see stuff that, Others can't see and do things that others can't do, and that's just—it it just comes with the territory. We, we we absorb everything around us, and we're the responders. And I said, if you extract, I, said, I always ask people, if you extract yourself from a situation, what happens? And they're like, well, this won't get done, that won't get done. I said, okay, so you're saying if you're not there, these things won't get done. If you're not there, the whole um, the whole Diane dynamics change. If you're not there, the end result will change. Correct. Right. I said, okay, so that means you're not there to lead people to this place. If you're not there to guide people to this place, if you're not there to help people move this mountain, what happens? And they, and they kind of blink. And I said, all of this is called leadership. God calls us to lead. And as he's not going to accept any excuses when you stand before his throne, you say, well, I didn't think I was a leader, God. He's not going to do that. He's going to look at the end result. What did he tell you to do? And what did he tell you to do? And did you do it to the best of your ability? Uh, And silencing the other voices. Because so many times we listen to the wrong voices. When God tells us to do something, you know, we're afraid of what people are going to think of us. We're afraid we're going to fail. But, you know, I will tell you that God is not going to listen to your excuses. He has put within you everything that you need to do what he's told you to do. And what happens is as we walk it out, he activates certain things in us that we didn't even know were there. I said, I don't know about you, but I want to live on the other side of the miraculous, okay? So if, in fact, you want to, you want to stay where you are in the mediocre and, and live and see the, the miraculous in front of you and never touch it, First of all, you're going to have to answer to God. Second of all, you're never going to get through that and get on the other side of miraculous where the, all that stress and strain that you're feeling because you won't be obedient because you don't do what he said. You got, I met so many women who are what I call um, spiritually constipated. And it's because God has told them to do something, and they haven't felt the release because they're afraid of what people are going to think of them. They're going to afraid that people are going to think they're bossy. They're going to afraid that people are going to think they, know it, they think they know it all. When, in fact, that's why he puts you in that situation because you can't see because you can do, because he wants you to do it. And, and he's big enough, if you get out of line, to pull your skirt tail and say, what are you doing? 
He's big enough to stop you if you get out of order. I mean, he really is, but he needs for us to move. And so for me, the biggest way to, to embrace, that I had to learn how to embrace my strengths and my calling was to close my eyes, put my fist up by my ears, and jump. <laughs> I will be honest with you. You know, like, oh, God, and jump. And when yeah. I jumped, I jumped right into the palm of his hand. But okay. I had okay. to jump. I had to jump, though, because I was afraid. People called me bossy, and it wasn't that. I'd say, wait a minute, I see something. And they go, oh, God. And it would be stuff that would really save the mission, and it would be things that I saw that other people couldn't see. But I just assumed they could, and because God put me there because I could. And so sometimes I was equipped exactly. And so I, that's why I ask people, what do you see? If you, I ask people, what do you see? Here's something I want to do. What do you see? How do you see this? Here's what I want to do. I give a skeleton and I ask them, what do they see? And so many times they see things I didn't even see. And I'm like, Oh, this team thing is, is wonderful. And then they feel <laughs> valuable because you've right. listened. Oh my God. It is, it is amazing. They're like, you needed my help. I said, absolutely. I need another set of eyes. I need all of you. I need you all to look at this piece and then tell me what you see. And let me tell you something. When you ask that, you better be ready because some people will give you three pages of written notes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And there's going to be some nuggets in there. So you just to be ready. Be ready. Absolutely. absolutely. And then I, then I make sure that I go back and thank them. Yeah. I go back and right. thank them and recognize right. them. Right. Yeah. Well, Gail, we have about four minutes left, and I do want to get to this last point, how our leadership style can help or hurt us in the volunteer management system. It, you, you know, we've already covered that, but I'm going to go back and rehash some of the things we said. So many times we don't see ourselves as leaders and we hesitate and we don't lead and we don't embrace the call that God's give us, given us. We think that we're bossy. We think that we're going to we miss God. And I always say, if you miss God, God's big enough to find you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my leadership style is I'm called, I am called, I'm not strategic leader. Um, God, I can't remember the name. I, I wrote the book on leadership, and I can't remember the leadership style that I am. But there's six, <laughs> there's six different types of leaders, um, mm-hmm. and one of them is uh, the strategic leader. That's the one who does the war plans, and they give the one to, oh, I'm a tactical leader. The tactician is the one in the field. They, have, they get the war plans from the strategic leader who develops the war plan, and the strategic leader will say, I need you, we need you to take the city. And so I have a team of warriors with me, and they, we need you to take the city on the other side of the mountain. There's a bridge you need to go over. I get there, and the bridge has been blown up. I take the city anyway. Because the tactical leader knows how to improvise in the field. So many times we are afraid to embrace our strengths. And my leadership style is tactical. Do not put me up there with strategic leaders or the collaborative leaders because I don't always want to collaborate all the time. I mean, sometimes you have to be, you have to know who you are. If nothing else, people need to know who they are. And if you don't know, ask God because he will reveal it to you. And I love, that's why I love holding up a mirror and and helping people to identify their gifts. And so many times I know that you cannot put me in a quiet place for too long because I will start breaking things. And so I cannot be, I am not a creative leader, but I can create things when I'm put in the right environment. Does, does that make sense? It does. <laughs> and so I know that tacticians, I'm bold, brass, and I get it done. And I realize I'm not the quiet, thinking, methodical one that's in the corner developing things. 
So people try to put me in those roles because I also have a gift of administration, but that's my fourth gift down. It's not – my first is, is prophetic, leadership, um, uh, and it's a, I forgot what the third one is, but it's not, it's not strategic. It's like, give me the strategy, I'm going to look at it, then I can improvise. I know I'm not the kind of girl to sit in a quiet corner and write poetry all the time. I'm just not. And so, so many times people try to put me in those roles because I write or I should do this, but that's not, my, that's not how I lead. So you have to know yourself, and that's how your leadership style, you have to know your leadership style. People can identify your gifts and they'll put you in the wrong place. So my leadership style is one, I'm a, I, am, I will do it, get it done, and it hurts sometimes if they put me in the wrong place of leadership where I'm leading the wrong group. Does that make sense? It does, Gail. Are those defined in your books, The Power of a Woman Who Leads? Yes, I've got six okay. leadership styles, and you take a little test, okay. and, you, and, you, and you define that. So in The Power of okay. a Woman Who Leads, and I'm having a special right now on my website for your listeners. If they go there and they buy one copy, I will give them a gift copy to give to, another, to a friend. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. Okay, and you guys can find that over at handleyourbusiness.com. Girl.com. I love that one. All one Handle. word. Handleyourbusinessgirl.com. All one oh. word. And it's, and it's a special. And I will autograph them. Just let me know when you order. I will autograph the books to you or to, and your friend. I'll give you, you buy one, get one as a gift. And are they also available like on Amazon or different bookstores? You know, I think they are. Um, let okay. me, I believe that they are. I believe so. Okay. Just do a search, okay. a Google yeah. search. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay, and you've got, you know, there's lots more materials over there, too. In fact, if they go to your website, what are they going to find there? Well, they're going to find video. I do videos, weekly videos. They'll find that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide a link for you as a special gift, a download of a lot of the tips that I've given you today just for your listeners. Okay. All right. Well, you guys can check it all out at handleyourbusinessgirl.com. Gail, thank you. <laughs> this hour has flown by. So much great stuff. I can tell you and I could just chatter. Oh, in fact, I think in heaven we'll just have to have, you know, apartments next door or something like that. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for thank having you. me as a guest today. It has been my delight. Oh, and it's been so great having you here. And you guys want to go check that out, handleyourbusinessgirl.com, as well as we'll see you over at marty.com after the show. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.